Welcome to Topics in Endurance Sports. Today is Friday, August 20th, 2021. I am in the final third, I guess, of a podcast challenge where I and a number of other podcasters are trying to do a short episode every day for the month of August. This is called the Dog Days of Podcasting Challenge. There's about 15 of us. Topics range from rock and roll to sewing to comedy to gaming. Some people just talking about uh, what their day is. We're talking about movies, uh, people singing, people uh, wandering and talking. You know who I'm talking about there. It's all pretty interesting. And you can listen to them all at the Dog Days of Podcasting feed. I've listened to every episode so far. Most episodes are anywhere from about a minute to 20 minutes. So go check them out. And I have been talking about isotopes this month. I'm not doing endurance sports. So if you have no interest in isotopes or you don't want to find out what they are, you can skip this. For those who are listening... I'm changing gears a little bit today. I'm going to talk about something called clumped isotopes. First, though, probably no one noticed, but I did just minutes after recording yesterday's episode and uploading it. The title of it was Positron Emission Tomography, but I said Positron Emission Therapy. It's tomography, which just means to image using x-rays or gamma rays or even ultrasound. Anyway, dang it. I'm bouncing around on topics a bit, but I want to be sure to hit some things before time runs out. I already know that I could do this for 50 days. There's a bunch of stuff I will not get to, and I'm kind of bummed about that already. But nevertheless, I'm trying to hit some interesting things. Today, I'm going to talk about a pretty cool bit of science that allows us to get information about body temperature, as in cold-blooded versus warm-blooded. It starts with a phenomenon known as isotope clumping. I've mentioned before that deuterium, or hydrogen-2, forms stronger bonds than does hydrogen-1, when I was talking about heavy water, episode 13. And that, for example, because of these stronger bonds, mitosis is slowed down if you have too much deuterium in your body. Many biochemical reactions involving deuterium slow down a tiny bit because these stronger bonds need to be broken for the reaction to proceed. This is in fact a general phenomenon. For any element, their heavier isotopes form stronger bonds than do their lighter ones. Chemists sometimes probe this phenomenon, and we call it the isotope effect, to explain certain interesting experimental observations. Why these bonds are stronger is something I've been taught, but I've never completely grasped. It has to do with what's called zero-point energy. I think it's kind of a way of saying a heavier atom doesn't have the energy to fly away from what it's bonded with, as well as can something that is lighter. I'm sure that's not the right way to say it, but it's kind of how I think of it. A really heavy atom is too sluggish to get away from what it's bonded to. So typically when we talk about hydrogen gas, its formula is H2. In fact, D2, in which we have deuterium bonded to deuterium, hydrogen 2 bonded to hydrogen 2, is a little more stable than a deuterium bonded to a hydrogen 1, DH. 
which is slightly more stable than HH, where you have hydrogen 1 bonded to hydrogen 1. We don't tend to notice any of this because there's so little of deuterium around to begin with. Anyway, calcium carbonate is a mineral. Its formula is CaCO3, where the Ca, calcium, has a plus 2 charge, and the whole CO3 group, carbonate, has a minus 2 charge. The only thing we care about here is the carbonate, the CO3. Consider that it's made up of four atoms, COOO. Most likely, these will be C12 and O16, since those are by far the most common isotopes for those two elements. They happen to also be the lightest of the common isotopes. So probably any carbonate we pick up is going to be C12, O16, O16, O16. 1.1%, let me say that again, 1.1% of all carbon is carbon-13, which is stable. So you'd, you'd expect 1.1% of all carbonate to be carbon-13, O16, O16, O16. Fair enough. 0.2% of all oxygen is oxygen-18. So mathematically, you'd expect 0.6% of all carbonate to be C12, O16, 16, O18. It would seem to be very, very rare that you'd even get two of the heavier isotopes into one carbonate. For example, carbon-13, O16, O16, O18. That seems like that'd be really rare because it's hard to even get a C13 and an O18 at all. You can calculate exactly how often that should happen, as well as even more rare cases like carbon-13, O16, O18, O18, or the super rare carbon-13, O18, O18, O18. You can calculate exactly how much of those you should get. Turns out, though, your calculations would be very slightly wrong. Why? Because of isotope clumping. Heavy isotopes like to bond more than the lighter ones. You'd always get a little bit more of those clumped, heavier isotope versions of carbonate than calculated because they bond together better. In other words, even though, say, carbon-13, O16, O16, O18 should only happen X percent of the time statistically, where X is a tiny fraction, you'd actually find it a little more than that because it's a little more stable than the lighter isotope versions. Not hugely more, but measurable with good analytical techniques. So hopefully you kind of grasp that idea. So far, that's really interesting only in a chemical sense. But the keys here are that, one, the colder the temperature, the more that isotope clumping occurs. And two, you can find calcium carbonate preserved in tooth enamel so that three cold-blooded animals would have more isotope clumping in their enamel than would warm-blooded animals. Or more simply, simply stated, Cold-blooded animals would have more carbon-13 and oxygen-18 in their teeth than warm-blooded animals. Woohoo! Anyway, by synthesizing calcium carbonate in the lab at various temperatures, chemists know exactly what temperature produces what amount of isotope clumping. Thus, a wide range of animal enamel have been studied. One research group studied warm-blooded animals, a white rhino and an Indian elephant, that had 
amounts of isotope clumping that correlated to a temperature of 37 degrees Celsius, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. By contrast, reptiles, a Nile, Nile crocodile and an American alligator, had isotope clumping cor correlating to 27, de 27 degrees Celsius or 80.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Both of these are similar to what's actually measured. The clumping experiment works. Sand tiger sharks are known to have temperatures that match the water temperature in their, that they are in, and their teeth enamel carbonate isotope clumping records this correctly. So using isotope clumping to predict the temperature of the animal it's in works. All you have to do is look at their teeth and see how much carbon-13, oxygen-18 is actually in there. Again, not real interesting in the sense that we can measure these animals already. What's the whole point of all this? Where is this all leading to? Fossils. We cannot measure the temperature of an extinct animal, but we can find their teeth. So this same research group studied five dinosaur tooth fossils recording the carbonate clumping, isotope clumping that corresponded to it. They found the temperatures corresponded to 32.4 to between 32.4 to 38.2 degrees Celsius, which is 90.3 to 108 degrees Fahrenheit, suggesting these dinosaurs were warm-blooded. This is one major reason we now know that dinosaurs were warm-blooded. I hope you can follow all that. More tomorrow.